Greetings, programs, and welcome to the latest edition of the Awesome Friday Podcast. The podcast where we review two new things every week. My name is Matthew, and with me as always is Simon. Say hello, Simon. Hello. I just enjoy that uh, you're in full Barry White mode today. Like, your your already low voice has already uh, has now sunk a further three octaves. To be real sexy, like welcome to Awesome Friday. That's my yeah. Sexy voice. We're gonna that's talk what about happens. two movies. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, t- turns out that's what happens when I get sick with not COVID for the like tenth time during this pandemic. You know, this is gonna sound weird and morbid, but I took my third COVID test in three days this morning, and I'm just kind of like, part of me is disappointed it's not COVID at this point. I keep testing negative. And I've tested negative. I've never once tested positive for COVID during this whole pandemic. And I know this is awful, but like I've managed to have bronchitis, several seasonal coughs, seasonal colds, actual influenza, three sinus infections, but not COVID. <laughs> like at this I know, point, I just want to get it over with. In the last two years, you've been the sickest out of anyone I know, and none of it's been COVID, including the people I know with COVID. Like it just seems yeah. to be a constant. You just need to stop mixing with the general public. Unfortunately, you are you are cursed to to do that. It would seem. But well, part of um, it is that my my current doctor thinks that the sinus infection might actually be like a chronic infection. So I'm I'm getting some diagnostics for that but Ooh, yeah. that sounds fun that sounds fun no. and pain free no it's just frustrating as hell <laughs> so anyway welcome welcome anyway, to well... the awesome friday health podcast yeah. <laughs> where two old guys moan about yeah. how much they ache and how sick they are yeah it's true it's true i mean <laughs> Either I'm sick or you're tired. That's how we start every episode. Do you know what I've already noticed? Now, I, I had a really busy day Thursday, and I basically, um, part of my job is doing like Zoom tutorials and presentations. And I was basically on Zoom for six hours in one day, jumping between stuff. And I sit on a really, really comfy chair. We both have really nice like PC chairs with big high backs and lumbar support. But I was in that position pretty much all day. And when I got up, I couldn't actually straighten my back, the small of my back. Like, <laughs> like I am, I am frozen. <laughs> I am now frozen in the seated position. Um, and I'm like, well, that's, that's it then. I guess that's my life now is having to go for a walk and hobbling down the street like an old man, because I've been yeah. sat comfortably for a few hours. <laughs> My, These my, are the trials and tribulations of being a middle-aged white dude. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I really want to find out from you, which you can tell me later, is how to turn off the Apple phone, fun- the Apple Watch functionality, where every hour it goes, "Hey, uh, you should probably stand up and maybe move your body right now." But you, you should, you should be more active. Your your body, your circulatory system needs some movement. So I need to turn that off because I'm starting to shout at my phone my my watch yesterday when i was really stressed went hey would you like to have a mindful moment i'm like no i would not like to fucking have a mindful moment <laughs> go away so i need you to know, the, fun, um, kill the funny that. thing is the funny thing is that that probably would have been the perfect moment to have a mindful moment well i i think it probably tells from your escalating like blood levels or whatever uh whatever it reads from being close to your skin it knows doesn't it it absolutely knows I mean, very similarly, yes. this this does link us to one of our movies we're talking about today. The very subtle, I've detected your blood is elevated. 
Yeah, one of our movies That's... does have that as a theme as well. It's quite creepy. That... And the new Apple Watch is even creepier. Like the the Watch Ultra or whatever it's called that basically scans your entire body every five seconds and tells you if you're having a heart attack and all these things. It's pretty... It's amazing and also a little I mean, bit creepy. I mean, that describes most personal tech these days. It's not like a new... Just even the current Apple Watch is amazing, but a little bit creepy. Like, they're all that. Yeah. Like, an and the way they do it is by intruding into your personal life and collecting all your data. So Yay. And we let them. We welcome them in with open arms. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people talking about, you know, data intrusions and how much we give away. And I think at this point, it's upsetting. But, like, you just have to pick which company you're going to trust the most and go with that one. Mm-hmm. And Because, like... That's the world we currently live in, and we do have to live in it. Mm. And it's 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 definitely possible to extricate yourself from it all, but then you are extricated from the world. So, especially I mean, the kind of I like jobs, and I like, like living by... the world. So it's you know it's a yeah. And in terms of a big part of my uh, life, the last five or six years is looking for freelance writing opportunities like if you're not in certain online circles you just don't hear about them and you need to have you need to be part of an ecosystem in order to hear that information so i i i quit twitter for a while and i suddenly realized i don't know where to find freelance writing opportunities because they all just come up on twitter so yeah it's a it's a balance it's a deal with the devil isn't it on many many levels yeah but hey it really is and well, that does link us to our, one of our movies today it does so we're talking about two movies like we are want to do uh one of which is coming up next and the other one is one of the best films of the year maybe so let's talk about the one that's not one of the best films of the year first now that we've bantered suitably um <laughs> simon since you clearly like this movie more than me <laughs> Uh, why don't you give us a quick rundown on this indie uh, film called Blank? Um, yeah. Or should I just do like... it? No, no, no. So Blank is um, a, a, a writer. A writer is struggling. She has written many successful novels and she can't get the latest one out. And she lives in in a unstated near future where... Um, she like it takes to a, like a projection on the wall, and she gets notifications for this uh, retreat. It's called the retreat, which is an AI-driven quiet area where you can go and be uh, away from the world, kept in silence, kept in in luxury, um, looked after by a holographic AI like butler, if you like, and a physical robot who will do all your chores for you so all you need to do is write and drink wine and so uh, because she's at the end of her tether as we see in the opening the very subtle very subtle opening sequence which reveals that she is a struggling writer uh, we there is a bin full of crumpled up paper all of them blank uh, which tells us that she's uh, out of ideas and um, she heads to the retreat after the uh, the insistence of her agent and um, she goes to the, it's basically this big old brick building that has sealed doors and windows for silence and has a robot companion that uh, this like 50s housewife styled robot 
called Rita, who will um, look after her every needs. Um, and she goes there and she goes for a run every day and then something goes wrong. There's like a never really identified what it is, but a, a virus disrupts the AI and she can't leave the building anymore. So it turns into a bottle movie with a little bit of misery thrown in. Um, and that's the general plot without giving any spoilers away, really. Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's basically clearly the person who wrote this has seen both Black Mirror and Misery mm -hmm. would be the way to put it. And um, let me just start out by saying that uh, it is, for better or for worse, it is a very indie movie. I think mm -hmm. it's probably the, the way to put this. It is full of interesting ideas that aren't necessarily executed very well. And I have, I have a very hard time. I'm having a very hard time talking about this film. I think, Simon, you're probably going to have an easier time because you're much more willing to just say, this was bad than I am. I I mean, I execution is everything. When you are clearly on a short budget and you're, the way you execute your idea, the things you can control are your script and your camera work and your editing and your performance. Like These are all the things that are the only things really that are in your direct control when you make what is clearly an indie movie with a limited budget. And... The, the the problem this movie is called blank by the way i'm not sure we even mentioned the, the title yet but the the biggest problem is that the idea is sound and we've seen this idea before but as i said a couple of weeks ago when we talked about fall the a, a bottle movie lives and dies by how the protagonists think their way out of a seemingly hopeless situation um and the problem with blank is that it, it not only isn't interesting, it makes a couple of capital C choices that are not satisfying at all in the exploration of how this woman gets out of this enclosed situation. The whole thing is made without subtlety. It treats the audience as uh, unable to comprehend even the slightest bit of subtext or hints. Everything is from the first scene is given to you directly in front of your face. And do you know what it really reminds me of is I taught film for a long, long time in drama and it felt like a very well-meaning first year film project where the teacher then goes, okay, these are your good ideas, but I want to look at your execution because you've got to dial all of this down and mm -hmm. cut these bits out and focus on this is your good idea. And this is your not good idea. Your not good idea is destroying your good idea by distracting us from it this is how you have to treat the audience. Like the audience has to be treated like, uh, I, I think Knives Out did this very, very well. And I'm really looking forward to Glass Onion because uh, Ryan Johnson really knows how to drip feed interesting things to an audience and make them think. He does that with all of his movies. And mm -hmm. this movie does not demand that you think or analyze anything. Like the, it, <laughs> I've watched, um, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place from, from all of it in the last couple of weeks, which is a comedy show that's meant to be set in the 80s in this like haunted Twilight Zone hospital. And it's written by this self-styled Stephen, self Stephen King wannabe writer. And his scripts have no subtlety either. And this felt like a Dark Place script because the opening scene is uh, massive, unsubtle, images of this struggling writer not being able to write 
and then she gets a message come to the retreat which she cancels just dismisses it and then immediately gets a phone call from her agent basically saying i'm really worried you should go to a retreat or something it's the whole film is that level of unsubtle and then she plays chess later just before she's trapped (laughs) and tries to play chess with the holographic dude who's like her assistant and he beats her over and over and she looks at the board and goes huh i think i'm trapped here and it, yeah. then it holds her. It's like Jesus. Like you know, my this needed my personal, three or four rewrites. My personal favorite one of those is there's a moment where there's clearly like there's a, a, a malware is detected in the system, and then she goes to the TV and turns on the TV, and it happens to be a news report about how malware affects software. <laughs> like if you have malware already, it's difficult to get rid of. Like yes. yeah, no shit. It's 2022. We all have computers. We know how this shit works. I mean, I mean, to be fair, I've worked in retail customer service of uh, <laughs> fixing computers for a long time, so not everybody knows this. But like, that yeah. is how like that's definitely a thing I didn't need to be told. No, there's so and, much in this movie you don't need to be told. And I, and I feel I feel really bad because like I think about this sometimes when I watch indie movies because when we talk about something like. The movie we're going to talk about next is a, is a fair example, but like any blockbuster, like we talked about um, when we talked about She-Hulk, uh, when we talked about any big budget thing, like they don't need us, right? Like they don't like what we say is not going to affect whether that film makes mm-hmm. money or does well or the people in it advance or anything like that. But an indie movie like this definitely like they do need us, right? Like what we say can actually have, a, have an impact. And I sort of hate that I have to say that I didn't really like this movie. And I, I, and I, I do always try. I think it's my, I think it's the responsibility of anyone who's critiquing work to, to approach a film and say like, look, I didn't like this, but here are some things that I did like, which is what I'm about to do. But I just hate that. That's the compromise I have to make. I wish I wish I liked mm-hmm. this movie because the ideas are so solid. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's like two drafts away from being probably oh, great. Um, good, I actually thought good. that the, no, I think it probably could have been great. Like it's 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 in the realm. I thought that the two main actresses were good. I particularly liked Hyda Reed, who plays Rita the robot. I thought she did a really good job of being uh, interestingly robotic. If that's mm-hmm. if that makes sense, um, not quite robotic, but not quite human. She managed to like toe that line really, really well. I thought she did a really good job of delivering. There's a lot of repeated dialogue from her that I thought was repeated really well. Like, not the words of verbatim and the delivery is nearly verbatim in really interesting ways, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> um, but ultimately, like, I think the word for this movie is unsubtle. And it takes away from everything. And it really does. And just and it's it's just tough, right? Like, I really want to like this movie. I really want to, mm. but I don't, and it's a problem. Yeah. No, I I absolutely agree with you. When I saw the trailer, I was very enthusiastic to watch this film. I love bottle movies. I love the uh, I love watching someone trapped go through the the measures and the the trauma of getting out of there and revealing about themselves as well. And there is a revelation in this as well. Can we talk about the narrative decision in the second half? It is, it is a, a, a fair spoiler, but it does form 
a pretty large chunk of what didn't work in this film for me. Uh, well, I think you're talking about there's a the film is set in two time periods and it's sort of unclear as to what one of the time periods is for about the first half of the movie until it, it sort of becomes clear in the second half. And it doesn't really, these flashback sequences don't really work. No, not really. It's, it's, it's almost, meant- it's almost too much of a parallel between what she's going through in the present and what she went through in the past. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's kind it's, of the again, exact same subtle. situation. It's like, yeah. uh, it's, it's again, it's subtle, subtle, like a sledgehammer. It's, and it's also not... these extended flashbacks really take us out of the moment of her being trapped. Like it removes yeah. us as an audience. Again, if we go back to fall, it kept us at the top of that pole with the girls. So we're trapped up there with them and we needed to be in this building in this ultimately this room with um the main character here who i uh, played by rachel shelley who i thought was fine as well i I enjoyed her performance we -hmm. needed to see uh how more traumatic it was for her because she was running out of food every time rita the robot reset she does this introductory uh greeting where she says i'm with you for 30 days so Every time she reset after she malfunctioned, it reset the 30 days and the food is running out, the the wine, the water is running out. And so Claire is, the, the main character is increasingly desperate because Rita has no comprehension that she's going to die in here. And um, just when that becomes, you know, that those, that vice tightens, we are taken out to this flashback that is so idiosyncratic in terms of, the costumes and the set decoration and it is so unclear which time period it's meant to be it doesn't work at all and for me if i was doing another pass on this movie i would remove all that do you know the part i really liked actually is that rita reads through the robot reads through the the, the uh, book she's writing and starts acting out the horrific mother parts mm-hmm. and we, you could have kept that in because you'd learn exactly the same from what it turns out what Claire is writing is about the traumatic experience she had with her own mother. We would have got that by Rita reading it and then acting out the ghost of her mother while she's trapped in this room. So it becomes more and more desperate. We didn't need to see any of the flashbacks. No. And and I, I would have changed the ending completely, but I think I'm going to, I'll save that for off air because that is a pretty major spoiler. But you're right. It, I mean, yeah, that Without talking about it, yeah, the the ending is pretty unsatisfying for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there are there's some, and there's all yeah. I'm sort of like my feelings are all jumbled up. But like, for every good thing in this movie, there's something that is a little bit frustrating. So, for example, there is a sequence in the latter half anyway where it's like one big long take that's meant to be a montage through the passing of several days. And I thought that that way, and it's one big, long, continuous take with multiple repositions on set and moving props around and actors changing costume. And I thought that was really well executed, especially yeah. given the, the budgetary limitations they're obviously dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, Wayne Brady's in this. And to be fair, he's pretty good. He's fine. And he plays a hologram. And I'd really love to know how they filmed his part, because at no point does his eyeline ever line up with who he's talking to. Mm-hmm. 
like at any moment he's talking to Claire or even like looking at Rita, it never quite lines up. And it's really frustrating. Mm. Um, even the first time you see him on screen, he's on a computer screen, like advertising this retreat and his eye line isn't straight ahead from the computer screen. It's off to one side. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't like, and none of it, it just, it just feels like they, I, it just feels like they needed someone on set to be like, this is where he's looking. Mm-hmm. And I guess that probably the issue is that they, my guess is that they filmed him separately. Oh, totally. That was because, a uh, separate LA um, production crew in parallel with the main one. Yeah. And I get the impression that the reason for that is that it was probably just too expensive to have someone on set that they could then like digitally affect into being a hologram mm-hmm. or even just someone in a, you know, green gimp suit or whatever. Um, but uh, it just, I found it really distracting. And I think I text, I did text you because I watched it this morning that like at one point Rita exclaims that she can, explains that she can detect life signs within 440 yards. And that moment, and this is the dumbest shit ever, but that moment really took me out of the film because who in 2022 writes a story set in the future and uses yards to measure anything? (laughs) Like it's just dumb. It's just dumb shit like that that really took me out of the movie. And it's really a shame because, again, the ideas are so good, I thought. I do, I do love how you're trying to dig around for the positive in this. And you're right, that, um, that single shot that shows the passing of time instead of being a montage is like a slowly rotating shot with things moving in and out was brilliantly done. And, and it's easily the best part of the movie in terms of effect because it's the only subtle part of the whole film. And yeah. technically as well... Um, it's it's really well done that one shot and honestly when I saw that shot I remember thinking oh please be this like a sign that the rest of this movie is going to be like this inventive and this good and it really it just actually gets worse from that point yeah it's 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 frustrating and like I'm sure there's something here for someone but none of it was I mean other than the ideas in that one shot there's it, it wasn't for me unfortunately yeah, or me. How many so, stars are you giving it then? Uh, I will give it two. Just barely. Just barely two. I think I and agree I think, because... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. And I'll, I'll give it the two based on the two lead performances and that one shot. Yeah. I think we're absolutely uh, on the same page here. I was thinking about one and then <laughs> I thought to myself, is it really as bad as Pinocchio? Like, no, do it's it, nowhere like, near as bad as Pinocchio. No, like Pinocchio is bad in a different way and deserves a one. This is a two because I did like the main performances. I did like that one shot. The ideas I will are, say, but just the execution was so poor. Yeah, I mean, I will say that I think a key difference here is that it does, this does feel like a well-intentioned film that just didn't turn out very well as opposed to Pinocchio, which feels like a just a... a banal exercise in corporate money grabbing yes right like it's a it's it's much easier to forgive some of the faults in this just because it is somebody cared about this and i didn't feel like anybody cared about pinocchio and uh, this had color as well which is an interesting concept that disney might want to look at especially after having seen the trailer for the little mermaid live action and little mermaid is one of my favorite animated disney's the it is so bland and dark. <laughs> I, I was going to be another Pinocchio, so that's taking my, sense, that my, 
I mean, I don't want to talk too much about the Little Mermaid because I don't want to have to get into talking about some of the reactions to the Little Mermaid. Oh God, yeah. My uh, my sincere hope for that trailer is that everything under the ocean is muted because they're under the ocean, and it becomes a burst of color once she's in the world. But I have no faith. But it shouldn't be under. It's a kids' movie, right? It shouldn't be dark under the ocean. It should. There should be color under the ocean. There is color. Look, I'm not. I'm not trying to say what it should be. I'm just saying, based on what I've seen, that's what I hope it is. <laughs> I, I think. I think so. But anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, well. But yeah, it's a two from me as well. I I can't good. recommend anyone watches this really. I mean, if it comes up on a streaming service, which it probably almost certainly will, I think you could probably do worse. You could watch Pinocchio. But, what's like, helpful though, because the the poster for it shows like a um. You remember Species with Natasha, Natasha Henstridge? It's like a yeah. sexy lady stripped down android looking to the camera with a red eye on and it's all red background. Go blank. She's trapped in this place. It's nothing. Nothing. You never ever see any more robot than a little bit of metal around her eyes. Like it's not like that at all. So Yeah, it's interesting because there are kind of movie. There's two posters for this movie, and the one you're describing Sorry, there's three posters for this movie. And the one you're describing is the one that I've seen the most. And it is by far the most misleading about what the movie is. Yeah. Uh, but there's one of them that's like uh, Rita as a silhouette with an image of a tree in the house behind her. And that's actually uh, a good poster. And more representative. Uh, but yeah, anyway. Okay. Well, let's move on um, oh, to what might be one of the better movies of this entire year. Um as we're all aware, in 2016, the world lost one of our preeminent artists in David Bowie. And now uh, director Brett Morgan, uh, famous for things like The Kids Stays in the Picture and Kurt Cobain Montage of Heck, has released, or is releasing, has released by the time you hear this, uh, his <laughs> documentary about, Moon Age da- about David Bowie called Moon Age Daydream. And spoiler alert, it is about eight kinds of wonderful. Um, I don't know how to properly describe this film other than it is an overwhelming audio-visual spiritual experience, and you should definitely see it on the biggest screen you can find. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, first of all, can I just have a side note? I just want to, as a grammar teacher, I just loved your um, grammar changes, like describing when this film is actually coming out. Congratulations on your grammar. Um, but yeah. this, do you know what this film, I've never seen anything by this director. I've never even heard of Brett Morgan. And I, I was, I'm not a huge fan of music documentaries. So I went into this with a little trepidation, but... I was kind of expecting a narrator and like when Bowie was 16, he went to maybe, maybe David Attenborough, like, um, yeah, you were expecting this, a more standard, uh, yeah. sort of documentary. This, this, this is much more of an, like, an immersive experience. The whole thing is that moment between being awake and being asleep where your brain goes, Oh, Hey, here's some, here's like, here's, while what happens when you slip into sleep it's like color and montage and music and fading voices in and out and it's just i mean it's just incredible i've never seen anything like it i'm a i was a bowie fan before and 
it's a very emotional movie to watch as well um but it doesn't it doesn't really um loiter on any sort of emotional aspects like with his death or anything it doesn't it doesn't have a somber tone it's a celebration of this once in a humanity like artist who was never able to stop even when he found massive success his first thought was okay let's try something else let's do something else and i love how this movie took us through all the stages of bowie's life and explained the significance of them and the music and the culture and the setting and what he was trying to do and it's all done through visuals and interviews with him and music there's no overt explanations there's no narrator telling us what to think or what to observe it is just mind-blowingly wonderful and satisfying quite the yeah, juxtaposition the last movie there isn't even any like talking heads like from anyone else it's it's pretty much literally just david bowie's music playing with visuals of him performing with occasional uh voiceovers that are or clips from interviews with him and it's amazing how that form can can convey so much mm-hmm. um i the la- i think the last thing i saw of brett morgan's was montage of heck and i i didn't it's in a very similar in terms of style but i didn't connect with it the same way i connected with this mm-hmm. um and that just might be that, like, not to speak ill of Kurt Cobain, but David Bowie is a little more singular, I think, than, than Kurt Cobain was. Um, if anything, like, I feel like the movie is laser focused on David Bowie, the artist. And that's not a complaint, exactly. But, like, my one, like, minor, like, it would have been nice to hear more about his relationship with his first wife or his son um, mm-hmm. or anything outside. Cause even like the whole first third of the movie, which covers most of the seventies and covers basically that whole Ziggy Stardust era. Um, I mean, his wife was there too and she was instrumental in, in making some of like the fashion choices and the makeup choices and, and influencing the scene. She's not mentioned at all. Mm-hmm. And you know, Duncan Jones, I don't know what is, I don't know what David Bowie's relationship was like with Duncan Jones, with his son, because the movie never mentions him at all. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine that there's no interviews where he talks about his son or his first wife, you know, like, it's just, I feel like it, it's, I think this is a, a great film and I think it's laser focused, maybe almost to a fault. Um, but that's a really nitpicky thing for me to say. Like, it is still an amazing film. Does that make sense? Does that I feel like that makes sense? Yeah, no, totally. Uh, it's interesting because you're right. It is. It, it, its objective is to explore Bowie's creative impulse, and yeah, exactly an impulse, an impulse that changed every every decade for sure, every year probably, and the yeah. influence he had. And what what is fascinating to me is that you're right Angela Bowie was a a massive influence on that whole glam rock culture of the 70s and and um, her role in that shouldn't be discounted but for me it was 
I can kind of see why they made the decision to focus on him, like moving through his creation of himself yeah. over and over and over, recreation. And yeah, I guess I guess the way to, to frame it is that it isn't it isn't so much about David Bowie as it is David Bowie's creativity. Yeah. And that's oh yeah, totally, an, absolutely yeah. an important distinction. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the amazing thing as well, I mean, not that we need reminding, but it opens with obviously it, it goes in largely chronological order for the most part. And the, the the all the 70s stuff in the first third of this movie sounds utterly contemporary, like it could be released today and be considered groundbreaking. Like his, from a, I've written a lot of songs. I've been songwriting for a large part of my life. And I, uh, my, when I write a song, and I know it's good when I can feel that I've made a good chord change. I know it sounds really wanky, but it's it's a feeling that I get. It's just like an instinct of, all right, this is good. It's like looking at a shot or an edit you've made. Like, yeah, this is this works. This is right. And I listen to his chord changes and that whole glam rock era. Like, it starts with um, all you young dudes, and it goes on to uh, obviously Life on Mars has some of the most gut-wrenchingly perfect chord changes that go on and on and on and it just brings tears to my eyes even thinking about it and Mm -hmm. like that music still is utterly groundbreaking and utterly amazing and it's hard to comprehend someone sitting down and writing that like where do you start by writing that and this movie talks about um there's a period later where he joins with brian eno Eno and says i don't i don't want to write this way anymore i don't want to write with words I want a new language of writing, <laughs> how to write music. And it's just incredible. And it highlights, again, the need for freedom of creativity. I mean, he was lucky, obviously, that his early success gave him money to be creative. There's so many people who don't have the financial freedom to be creative because it's yeah. not rewarded in our culture, which is a whole diatribe that I'm not going to get into now. But he never really focused on making more money. He just wanted to make something that, it, that, as he said, captured the now. And the now will change like next week. But whenever he made a, an album, it was just to capture the now. Just absolutely fascinating to, to hear that and to hear his journey as he goes through all these different genres as well. I couldn't say yeah, my I, eyes of it. I really appreciated the, uh, as much as it's, I think it's a good way to frame it is to talk about his creativity because it doesn't just focus on his music either. I was actually really struck. There's a couple of scenes where they just show him doing like interpretive dance. And I Mm -hmm. found those scenes actually quite moving. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they talk about his time on Broadway and in film uh, and painting. They showed a number of his paintings, many of which are beautiful. Um, And again, with the overlay of just his music at the same time he was doing those things is mm. just super interesting mm. and if you wanted to sort of understand that creative impulse like this would be the film to watch like if you were like what is one thing i could consume in order to understand what creativity feels like it would be this film mm-hmm. no, and, to your point, and to your point too about how he uh you know this financial freedom uh from his early success there was a there's one moment in an interview later in the film where he talks about how like Someone asked him, like, people have accused you of, of selling out. And he says, I've never begrudged an artist for finding an audience. Like, 
there's I don't he says he doesn't doesn't understand this idea that struggle equals purity, and I, I really appreciated that moment yeah. coming from someone and, in his position. And the idea that he didn't want to mix in the circles, he just got rid of most of his possessions and just traveled to learn about the different cultures and try to use that to influence his own writing and and uh, it, there's a couple of times where he goes to a place and he talks about his his intentions for that place and then they play the music that came out of that place and you're like oh my god like how how <laughs> where did you find these chords and this, these lyrics and this song and this story and it's it's just incredible to see someone as he described himself as a as a traveler he never wanted to be in one place with lots of possessions. He wasn't interested at all in the trappings of it. He just wanted mm -hmm. to travel. And I love the moments because part of his performance character was a very like dour face, right? That we, we know he wasn't miserable, but he had that very kind of cool look. And there's one great moment where he goes, I have no idea where he is, but the locals are playing like on uh, like, percussion instruments and xylophones and they welcome him they shake his hand and he just sits down and he is beaming like a 10 year old boy just happy 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 and uh it, it's it's a wonderful peek into the kind of free artistic genius that that it just flares up once in a lifetime and who knows mm -hmm. who else is out there who is capable of this and will never find their feet or the freedom to do it. And I think that's a big part of this film as well. It's that call. It's a scream for allowing people to be creative and allowing them to be individual. There's uh, one of my favorite moments is where he's on a, a very stuffy interview, probably in the seventies because he's dressed as Ziggy and he's wearing these giant um, uh, platform shoes. And the interviewer says in a suit, like, tell me, uh, David, are those men's men's shoes or women's shoes or bisexual shoes he says they're shoes silly and the audience just breaks down and this is in the 70s right this is a long time before any kind of idea of non-gendered like objects or or anything like that and he he is open and he is completely open with what he's trying to do it's amazing and i have to say as well he, he didn't fail at anything because he wasn't scared of failing at anything like there's a clip of him in The Elephant Man, where, which he played on Broadway. And honestly, no, I wasn't, not worried is the wrong word, but I was like, oh, I wonder if he's as good an actor. Of course, we've seen him on screen, but Broadway, a stage is a whole different thing. And that one clip of him in Elephant Man, I was just like, oh my God, that's, that's amazing. He's incredible mm -hmm. like at stage performance too with this inflected think, voice to show di um, the distortion of his face. Just amazing. I mean, I think that comes, the movie makes clear, and I think we all sort of knew, but the movie very much makes clear that this is a man who poured every ounce of his being into his creative output. And mm -hmm. I don't think it's a surprise that he turned out to be good at everything he poured that creative output into. Mm -hmm. But we're also talking about a guy who, you know, he, again, he, he died in 2016. He died two days after his last album came out, Black Star, which is frankly an amazing album. Mm -hmm. And it's even more amazing when you realize that, so we knew, we found out that he died and we found out that he had cancer on the same day after the album came out. And it became like, and if you were like me and you listened to that album on the day it came out 
and then you listened to it the day after you found out that he just died of cancer and must have known he had cancer for a long time. And you realize that he had cancer and he used that to make his last album. He poured every ounce of his experience of knowing his own mortality into making that album. That album becomes even more amazing than it already is. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> and I just feel like the this movie made clear that that is how he lived his whole life, not mm-hmm. just that section of it, right? Like yeah, whether we're talking about Ziggy Stardust or his upbeat 80s pop era, he poured his entire being into everything he did. And it's yeah. it's definitely something to admire and that definitely I wish more people in the world had the freedom to do. And you you get so used to these older artists like he said he knows a number of these older artists who have been in the game a long time who are bitter who are tired they don't want to do it anymore and he said i've just had a great life i've i've been so lucky to do whatever i want and i've i love life and i've loved being alive and it's just so refreshing to hear that uh, because you do there is that stereotype of the the artist must be tortured you must be miserable to write and he talked about that a little bit as well and then he he discovered different ways to write, and it, it's incredibly inspiring that the, the the story of where he allowed himself to fail, he allowed himself to find creativity and not be limited by what people want or even what he wants, and just the idea of going into a studio and swapping all the instrument parts around because you just want a different way to write is is just incredible to me. Just the it blew me away the whole thing i mean this is my film of the year in a in a year that's had in a year that's had prey and everything everywhere and turning red and like this has been a great year for film and this is my best out of all of them so far it's just as a medium as well as a, as an expression in the medium this is mm-hmm. one of those movies where it could only be done as a movie like th- this is an absolute pure form of this style of expression to demonstrate the creativity of someone who used a different form. It was just amazing. Yeah. Very moving. So, Very, yeah. so what are you giving it at five? Five? Uh, I might go for a one. Yeah. This is, this is a, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a five stars for me. Like I, I, I'm a musician too. I've dealt with creativity my whole life. I've dealt with the limits of that and the, the self-doubt that comes with it. And of course, this is going to be a five for me. I mean, it's it just vibrated through me from beginning to end. It was incredible. I can't wait to um, own it so I can watch it multiple times. I want to show it to my kids as well. I think it's a great thing for young creative people to see and to not, not yeah. be afraid of doing things that other people find weird and and to go in long line with my initial comment like if you can see this this movie premiered it um over the summer at a festival it played at tiff uh as of this as of when you're listening to this it played at tiff like a week ago and it came out in theaters on the this week on 16th of september and if you can see it i know it's playing an imax in certain places Mm -hmm. and if you can see it on an imax screen that would be the way to see it and if you are waiting for home video, if you if you're the type of person who's going to buy a 4K Blu-ray player, like this movie would be worth buying a 4K Blu-ray player just to own on 4K Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Um, it yeah, is that gorgeous stuff. from yeah. start to finish. 
So uh, for me, yeah. yeah, for me, I think it's actually, I'm going to say a four out of five. It's not quite a five for me. Um, it is, it is a little on the long, I felt like it, I felt like it didn't quite outstay its welcome, but it's a little on the long side. And I do, despite everything we've said about how important it is about his creative output, I do wish I had some more context about how his family life influenced that. Like, I feel like it was Mm -hmm. a little bit, maybe too laser focused. And Mm -hmm. again, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think I'm definitely in the minority on this one as well. Um, in that I think it's really, really great and not fantastic. So <laughs> do with that's that fair. information what you will. Yeah, no, that's fair. And I've been, you know, I've been a lot more selective with my five stars in the last couple of years. So it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely the best documentary I've seen all year. And I've also seen, interestingly, there'll be at least two documentaries on my best of year of the year this list this year, probably. So what's the other one? Uh, Fire of Love, which is just wonderful. Oh, you saw that, did you? Yeah, I saw it at Hot Docs back in the spring. Oh, it looks very... I saw a trailer when I went to the Rio to watch um, Mad Max. It looks very good. Yeah, it's wonderful. Anyway. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Um, yes. Yeah, thank you. Daydream. Yeah, go watch Moon Age Daydream. And, you know, if you happen to see Blank on a streaming service and there's nothing else to do. <laughs> you know, maybe give it a go. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's it for now. So join us next week. Uh, I don't 100% know what we're talking about next week, but we will be talking about Andor for sure next week, uh, which we cannot talk about, but we can say that we have seen the first few episodes of um, already, and we're excited to talk about it. Um, the, we, of course record this here in Vancouver on the unceded lands of the Musqueam and Tsleil-Waututh and Squamish nations. We would like to thank you so much for listening. We appreciate each and every one of you who has tuned in. Uh, and it seems like there's maybe a few more of you this week. So welcome. And I hope you stay. If you'd like to support us, the best thing you can do is give us a five-star review on your podcast and platform of choice uh, and make sure to smash that like button and subscribe and all the, all the YouTube jargon. Um, uh, or if you'd like to support us a little more directly we do of course have a Patreon and a coffee both of which are linked in the show notes Um, and that's all from us thank you so much for listening and for joining us on this awesome Friday bye